Welcome to the Talk Marketing Analysis for Life Sciences podcast with Covalent Bonds. I'm your host, Laura Brown, and I am Chief Effectiveness Officer here at Covalent Bonds HQ. In this podcast, we explore marketing and media analysis for life sciences, touching on topics from marketing data to our guests' biggest marketing failures and successes, because it is in learning from others that the magic happens. Today, I'm very excited to be interviewing the Queen of Measurement, Katie Payne. Katie is the founder of two measurement companies and the publisher of three books, all on the topic of marketing and media measurement. Katie is the publisher of the renowned industry publication, The Measurement Advisor. If you don't get it, I strongly advise that you read it. Hi, Katie. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for giving me the opportunity. I'm excited to talk to this audience. Oh, we're so excited to have you, especially on the back of the news of your recent award, the the Jack Felt Gold Medal. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about it? I didn't even know I was nominated. And then they have a ranking system where all of my peers vote on this thing. And the short answer is, is the fact that it's my reward for being the provocateur of measurement for all these years. And it is a lifetime achievement. And you have been focused on measurement and mainly PR measurement for a long time. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into it? 30 some odd years. Well, the truth is, is the fact that I'm an Asian studies, Asian history major and was a reporter before I went to corporate to try to make some money and realized that there I was out in Silicon Valley, but everybody I was talking to was either a scientist or an engineer or a computer person or whatever. And I wasn't being very convincing when I was asking them to do the right things on certain things. And I went to a meeting and I suddenly realized that the only thing they use in these meetings are numbers and charts and graphs and data. And I said, oh, well, if I could just put all of my ideas and all of my requests and all of my results down into charts and graphs and numbers, let's see if they'll listen to me. And they did. And they started following my suggestions and doing what I asked them to do and increasing my budgets and all that stuff. And I went, aha don't use words, use numbers. And that was literally 30 some odd years ago. And it's worked ever since. That's amazing. So how has the PR measurement industry evolved over that period? It's very interesting because back then measurement didn't exist. I mean, it was the, the standard refrain was you can't measure PR. And I, in fact, during the Obama years, had a sticker made up that says, yes, you, yes we can measure PR. <laughs> because By that time, I'd already been doing it for a decade or two. People, A, just thought it was all squishy stuff and didn't need to be measured. And frankly, nobody was spending any money on it. The advertising budgets were 100 times bigger than PR. So why bother putting the effort and energy into measuring PR? Because it was free advertising and who cared? Mm-hmm. That's sort of how it evolved. And, and oh, by the way, people do not go into public relations because they love charts and graphs and numbers. They loathed it. They just hated it. I mean, every person I pitched would say, like if it was an agency, it'd say, I don't know, the client does that. And the client would say, well, no, I expect my agency to do that. Mm-hmm. And nobody wanted to do it and nobody wanted to be held accountable until it was a long time ago, early 90s recession and budgets started getting cut. All of a sudden, people had to justify their existence. And so in the midst of this economic downturn, we like quadrupled our client list. And all of a sudden, we're getting clients like Apple and pharmaceutical companies and all these interesting companies. 
and it was because they needed some way to put numbers around what they were doing. So that was kind of the beginning. It's really interesting, but it's also horrifying to me because some of the things that you've just described, I am still hearing when I'm out in the market. And we often hear the refrain, you can't measure PR. And the other side of it is that there's, especially in the life sciences space, there is a lot of resistance to PR because of the fact that people think you can't measure it. So they see it as budget down the drain. They think you can't measure it. So it's budget down the drain. And the other thing is, is that PR in general has been seen as necessary evil. A lot of measurement of life sciences, the one I was working on in the client side, the people who hated talking to the press and people who hated talking to the media the most were the, the, the knowledge experts. You know, they were the scientists. Mm-hmm. And so they just loathed the whole idea of talking to these plebeian reporters who would ask them dumb questions. Mm-hmm. So that didn't help either. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because PR has an identity crisis generally, but especially so yeah. in the, the life sciences space where PR is still often known as just a press release. They don't understand what yeah. it means and therefore they don't use it properly and therefore it's not seen as a strategic function that needs to be measured as well. Or they see it as a crisis, mm-hmm. right? Or they see their peers facing some form of media crisis and they think the best thing to do is to pretend to be an ostrich and hide from the media because that's sort of everybody's worst nightmare is to have a gazillion media calls. But the reality is the fact that if you avoid it altogether, when something happens, and today, something's going to happen. I mean, if you look at the type of crises that spark media attention, everybody's vulnerable. I mean, whether it's a presidential tweet or some spokesperson. Exactly. I mean, and that's also interesting because there's two elements to this. There's the, the listening of it. So hearing and identifying that this is happening out in in the marketplace, but then evaluating it. And then how do you use that information to then respond? So, and I don't think that many companies have all three of those elements in place. Have you seen that specifically in life sciences, for example? No, but it's moving towards, I mean, life sciences in my world is sort of in that hard to measure B2B category where things take a lot for the most part things take a long time to sell because they're built up on relationships. And I work a lot with regulated industries as well and it's a very similar scenario. And basically what they're all the same PR is essentially a press release and just make everything go away. And they don't realize that if you don't have relationships ahead of time, I mean, there are, there are examples of companies now especially where there's their peers have been in the news a lot, where they're, they're beginning to pay attention. Oil companies and utilities are the prime example because they never wanted a measure. They never wanted PR. They never wanted anything. And then all of a sudden you get one unexpected storm and everybody's out or one, one explosion. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, it, the other thing that is really a driver of, of measurement is regulation, right? One bad accident, one, one slip up, one mistake, and you got regulators all over you. Mm-hmm. And the regulators are going to come and make you measure stuff, even in the communication side, because you know, that's, 
how do you keep people's, how do you keep the public safer, your customers safer, anybody else safer? Well, you got to communicate better. So that's another thing that's driving the very few that are really out there thinking hard about communications measurement on the B2B side. Yeah, absolutely. And that is obviously so critical in pharma and biotech, where it's so heavily regulated about what you can and can't say. And the impact of one incorrect message can just snowball. And we see that time and time again in the market. Like a company that I'm aware of only about two weeks ago, they, the FDA issued a notice saying that the type of med device that this company had yep. was not proven to be any more beneficial than people where people don't have this med yes. implanted. And they have had no mechanism for monitoring it. They had no mechanism for responding. And it didn't just negatively impact their share price. It also negatively impacted all the companies around them's share price. And that's where you have yep. to be so on top of this. Well, for public companies, so here's the other thing that I find really interesting, which is 10 years ago, public companies had an IR department that was a gazillion miles separated from PR mm-hmm. because IR was based on relationships with institutional investors, and that's all that matters. And now you see the impact of short sellers and, frankly, individuals and all kinds of different investors driving your stock price up or down based on whatever news alerts they've just gotten. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm seeing, I mean, IR is now coming under, well, they're working very closely with communications in more and more companies because there's such a direct relationship. Yeah. So are you seeing more interest from IR teams or from the communication side? Which department tends to drive the need for measurement? Communications. IR, the, there's, in my entire 30 plus year career, I've had one IR client where they came to me and the reason was it was 2008. And for the first time in their entire career, they couldn't judge success or measure their success based on stock price because the stock market was just crashing. And it didn't matter whether you were Intel or Apple or anyone else, all your efforts and energies with all of your investment communities wasn't making a difference to the stock price. So all of a sudden they had to figure out what was making analysts recommend the stock. And so we did a deep dive into analyst reports looked at the messages that the company was putting out and who was putting them out there. And we read all the analyst reports and we basically said, these messages are working for you. And these, me- and we measured, the measure of success was recommend, hold, buy, sell mm-hmm. recommendation. And so that was the ultimate measure. And we analyzed the content and we figured out what content made them recommend to buy and what made them recommend to sell and help them figure that out. So from a messaging standpoint, they could really make their messages as effective as they possibly could be in that particular environment. It's communications because what happens is, is the fact that when the stock price goes down, the first thing people do is look at communications. I mean, I'll never forget the Christmas Eve and I'm out Christmas shopping and I get a call from what was at the time my largest client is a very large pharmaceutical company that had just introduced a new 
hepatitis C medication that was very expensive and very controversial. And their stock had been going up and up and up since they they launched the company, which was about two years ago. This was, so the company was only about two years old. And all of a sudden, the stock price starts plummeting, despite all this good news that they've been putting out there. The client calls me up at two in the afternoon on Christmas Eve and says, I need a report immediately as to why our stock price is falling. Tell me what people are saying. And I'm like, okay. And she goes, and I need it by five o'clock. So I, you know, it was like, I, I, and, and the truth is, is the fact that a whole bunch of short sellers that had investments in the competition had decided to gang up on this company and drive down the stock based on one little teeny tiny piece of news, which was not entirely accurate. But yeah, that's when the communications, because the communications people are like, oh my God, what did we do to make the stock price go down? Mm -hmm. And the IR people are going, we make the stock price go up. We've also talked about it in terms of a crisis. Are there other ways that you have seen life science companies use measurements strategically and with real results? So where they use it most often, right, is competitive analysis, is to figure out what the competition is doing or not doing and how they're doing relative to competition because most of my life sciences companies are looking at competition all the time. And so they want to know what their share of desirable voices is. Am I getting my fair share of the good stuff? And oh, by the way, I'm hoping I'm getting as little as possible of the bad stuff relative to my competition. And that is a marketing question for many of these folks, because what they're trying to do is figure out, okay, who's a threat and what are our vulnerabilities relative to the competitive marketplace? Mm-hmm. Interesting. So it's really, it's really more about competitive analysis. And then there's the other side of it, which is doing the comparison between what the customer believes and what the media is saying mm-hmm. and figuring out that relationship. Because... A lot of times we'll do surveys of customers to find out what their perceptions are. And then you look at the media and there's no relationship there. (laughs) It's like, okay, so somebody isn't either, your messages aren't getting the right people. And this is the classic PR thing is we've got 10 million impressions. Well, you really only need about 500 customers and those customers need to understand your key messages. So stop worrying about five trillion impressions and start worrying about how many actual customers are seeing your key messages. And that's the smart companies who are doing that. And not a lot of them, but, but there's always a few. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because you automatically start thinking about all those horrific measures that you always hear that PR programs are being evaluated using, like, I mean, God forbid, AVE. But it is, like, yeah. Yeah, the impressions, number of clips, the amount of times I hear that, as long as we hit our number of clips target, we're doing well. I just like, yeah. If it's not the right audience and the message isn't getting across, it's pointless. It is a waste of budget. So, a couple of things. One is classic example of how number of clips and impressions and everything else can completely screw up your program, which is working for a Actually, it's a video game company, but not life sciences, but it's not that dissimilar because they had a very specific target audience, which was, for the most part, teenage boys. Mm-hmm. And so the set number for the Marcom person and the communications person was she had to reach, this is in the bad old days of ad value equivalency, 
she had to reach a certain dollar figure for every quarter, right? So she had to earn, quote unquote, I don't know, $10 million worth of advertising value. And she went, well, that's easy. Wall Street Journal's the most expensive media out there. We'll just get the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Fortune Forbes, blah, blah, blah. Wonderful. Our, our new CEO is terrific and cute and articulate and dynamic. And so we'll just put him out there and get him all these great interviews, which of course they did. And she heard, hit her numbers. I'm measuring it from the other side, which is who's seeing this stuff and what are the messages getting out there. And they had reached like everybody over the age of 50 and almost nobody within their target audience. This is not going to help sales. The thing that is different about life sciences is for the most part, when you're talking to communications or marketing people or anybody in life sciences, they are pretty focused on sales, mm-hmm. right? They are very cognizant that the ultimate goal here is to get more leads or more qualified leads or to sell more or whatever. I have not seen anybody do something as stupid as that example, because for the most part, they're going to say, we need to make this many leads or this market share or whatever it happens to be. And the reason they don't think PR can be measured is because they haven't figured out what the connection is between PR and those sales leads. Mm -hmm. And that's not a hard thing to figure out. It's just they haven't taken the time to do it. So how would you go about recommending a life science company start to do that? The first step, and it's a hard one, because the connection between sales and PR in life sciences is not a direct one. But I also don't know necessarily what it is for every life sciences company out there. So what I do is I facilitate or sometimes just tell them to go do it. But most of the time, I try to facilitate a conversation with leadership, with sales, marketing leadership, sales and marketing leadership, with field, if I can get them, with the CEO, the CFO, I don't care, but somebody outside of communications and marketing. And I put as many of those people in a room together, and sometimes it only takes one or two, mm-hmm. along with your PR team and your social team and your communications team, whoever else on the team was appropriate to be in that room. But you have this conversation about what do you expect PR to do in terms of winning million-dollar clients that we know take a year and a half to get? How does PR help? And they might say, as one did, what I do with PR, PR is basically just a sales tool because we print out the articles and we give it to the sales force and they take it out to customers and customers go, aha, this is cool, the brochure. Or it's on a platform where I can track incoming leads to my CRM system. Let's get more people into our booth at a trade show. It's all over the map and it always is. And so I start off with that conversation. I say, okay, how do you think PR contributes to sales? And then once you've got that defined, sometimes my favorite description was, oh, PR is the spark. Nobody's going to think about us if there isn't a good story about us. I said, ah, good story. Define a good story. Mm-hmm. What is a good story? Oh, well, it has to contain a desirable photograph, and it has to contain a key message, and it has to go to this audience, and it has to do these things. I'm like, okay, fine. So now I have a list of criteria that defines a good article, 
And you can then say the measure of success is to increase the percentage of good articles or increase the percentage of articles with key messages out there or whatever that key spark is. And you now you've got a quantitative thing that you can point to that says, okay, and then you just keep going back to that. So you say when you're analyzing your media coverage, for instance, or you're you're analyzing your social media coverage, we all agreed in that meeting way back then that these five things help you sell more stuff, right? Remember that? <laughs> this quarter, we increased the presence of those five things by 25% with no additional staff. Any more questions? <laughs> And I put in the budgetary thing because I think the the other thing that everybody gets wrong, especially around we got this many clips and AVE got it wrong because the numbers were wrong, but it was at least there was a little sense there of putting a dollar sense in there. But but PR people don't seem to understand that they are in competition today with every other form of communication. So it's not a question of, hey, I got more messages across. What you really are up against is I got more messages across for less money because marketing and chief communications officer, chief marketing officers, they're looking at one big budget and they're saying we can spend this budget on trade shows, on events, on PR, on tchotchkes, on advertising, on what? I want to know what works best and I want to know where we're going to get the most leads for the money. And that's what PR is competing against in life sciences is since it is so lead focused and reputation focused. I mean, one of the things about PR is that traditionally it has been more cost effective than advertising. So nobody's doing advertising. So now you're really being compared to social or events or other things that are probably more effective these Mm -hmm. days. It's interesting that you say that things like events are probably more effective. And this is something that keeps coming up in conversations where salespeople are saying, we have to be at this trade show. And comms teams and marketing teams are starting to question the validity of that investment. And it comes down to, at the moment, they're measuring leads. But the comment that's coming from the comms and marketing teams are, but how do we measure the impact of this on brand exposure? How would you? recommend companies approach that discussion well the way see here's the thing about measuring leads and measuring events and measuring churches is the fact that you have 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 to do pre-post studies you Mm -hmm. cannot just measure after the effect after the event because you don't know where you were to begin with so what i always recommend is to say let's do a random sample before the event generally preferably about six to eight weeks before the event What's their level of awareness of the brand? What's their perception of the brand? What is their likelihood to purchase from the brand or or recommend or consider the brand? And then you go into the event or the show with that information as your baseline. Then you ask the exact same questions afterwards, except you also say how likely you're to purchase within this time frame and what is the typical value of your purchase right? Mm-hmm. So now you have a sense of, I have increased consideration or preference or intent to purchase, whatever it happens to be, by 5%. And that is potentially worth X number of millions of dollars. 
but you have to do it with a pre-post survey. You cannot just do it after the event. This is a question that keeps coming up because a lot of the companies that are spending significant amounts of money on events are the ones that tend to be the leaders in their market and they're questioning the value. And if they're thinking about it just in terms of lead generation, they're not going to generate leads because they already know everybody. It's very interesting because a lot of companies aren't doing net promoter scores measurements regularly either just to even measure the impact of their brand. So in the idea of introducing pre and post measurement, that's going to be a huge jump for companies that aren't even doing any sort of brand assessment at all. Well, the other thing about looking at leads is the fact that you really, I mean, just looking at leads is so, no pun intended or whatever, but no, it's so misleading because the reality is you have to look at the cost per lead. It's not about how many leads, it's what did it cost you. And there's information on both sides. I mean, we did one back in the early days of measuring Comdex, believe it or not, but major trade shows. And in the end, when we we were actually analyzing the leads for quality, our conclusion was that the company in particular could have bought a laptop for everybody who came into the booth, and they'd be probably more likely to consider them than just being there in the booth. For the cost of that booth and that event and what they spent on the event mm-hmm. was way more, per lead, was way, way, way more than the, than the cost of a laptop, mm-hmm. right? So you have to put it in the context of the, sort of the overall marketing plan, which is if I can get just as many qualified leads out of a blog post that costs me a little bit of time, effort, and energy, and that's it, why wouldn't I do more blogs? So what I keep hearing and what's coming through this is you have to be clear what your objectives are up front before you can actually measure effectively. If it is generate leads, that's what you're going to measure. And then you can make strategic decisions on the outcomes. That's exactly it. Yeah. And the other side of it is that you have to have the data to inform what you're saying. Because if it's your sales team are just saying, actually, this trade show is worth it, we should go there. That's an assumption. That's not based on data. And it's the combination. Correct. So have you come across some good examples of companies that are using the insights that they're getting from these measurement programs to make better strategic decisions that you can provide some tips on? The PR people were trying to make an argument for talking about results, test results, trial results, and talking more about every single, not just not just trial results, but every phase every conversation, who they were partnering with, et cetera. I can't remember what, how we developed the criteria. But anyway, what we looked at was four or five other companies that were also in the same age bracket, right? So these were all relatively new drugs, new companies mm-hmm. under five years old. And so we had this list of competitors. And we also had we went to their website and we saw how many press releases they, they issued and how many people were quoted and all the rest of that stuff. And they were all public companies. So what we then said was, what was the percent increase of stock in the stock price after the release of all of these press releases? And you basically did, did doing more PR keep the stock up? And it absolutely did. There was a significant jump in stock price every single time they said anything. 
And the PR people went back and said, hey, our stock is nice and steady. It's not going up. It's not going down. But if you wanted to go up, we might have to talk a little more. Mm, that's really interesting because this is how if you've got a comms team that are wanting to use this as a tool for business intelligence it's these kind of messages that enable them to go to their senior leadership team and get a budget for this i always say it's not don't call it measurement call it research Mm -hmm. absolutely okay so what are your top tips for companies who are being asked to report roi on their pr and marketing budgets basically ask the person who's asking them right Mm-hmm. What do you consider return? And will you give me all the data I need to ca- accurately calculate that return? What do you consider investment? And can I get a hold of all the dollars and cents and budgetary information to calculate that investment? And then when I do that calculation, if it's even possible, will you have faith in the answer? And I bet you anything they'll say no. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at the ROI equation, you need to have a very clear understanding of what the R is and what the I is. And very, very few programs, campaigns, or anything can out accurately define that, especially in life sciences. But when you've got a communications and a marketing department that is all kinds of things are merged together and people are doing multiple things and probably not tracking hour by hour use of time, it's just a number that people can so easily tear apart and, and discredit that it's not worth the time, effort, and energy to even talk about. Mm-hmm. So find something else. Find an acceptable proxy for value because it's not really what you're saying with R. What you're trying to say with ROI is value. Mm-hmm. What's the value of my program? And what you have to do is come up with leadership with what's an acceptable proxy for value. Mm-hmm. What really interests me about what you were saying there was just the two points about getting access to the data. And that is a huge issue in the life sciences where data is siloed, where technology is siloed across different departments. And getting people to Mm -hmm. give you the key to that is so hard. Yep. Do you have any tips on how companies could approach that as a challenge? Well, first of all, there's absolutely no reason why an internal marketing or communications person can't get access to that data, right? They have access to all kinds of other company secrets. It's not like they couldn't have access to that. On the agency side, don't do business with people who won't share your Google Analytics. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's how do you value, I mean, how you can't get access to data and there's so much data within companies. This is the thing about working with really good people internally who use their authority and power to get that data. That's what works. And if if you're not working with something like that, it is a huge challenge. But I just think that, I mean, because data is so ubiquitous these days, it's crazy not to not to share it and to make a program better. I used to tell people, just show a chart without that data and say, well, I could actually show you the economic value of what I've done so you basically have to sometimes have to shame people into giving you that data, but it's it's just not right. <laughs> I just get so angry when people want your data. And increasingly, I don't have a problem getting data. If you want this from me, I will need this data up front. They come up with it somehow. And what about the companies that don't yet or haven't had the systems in place to collect the data? How long do you think, oh. how much data, how many years worth of data do you 
typically need before you can start getting meaningful insights? No. So then what I say is they say they don't have the data. I said, okay, so let's get the data. Let's do three months worth of work on this, whether it's media analysis or social analytics or Google analytics. Let's set it up. Let's get three months worth of data. So at least we have a sense of what's normal. Let's get a baseline and start there. But many, many people come to me because they're in the process of trying to find the data or get the data specifically around media analysis or, or survey research, they call me and say, well, what should I do? And I say, don't sign a contract until you know what your objectives are. Because if you don't know what your objectives are, you don't know what your measurements are going to be, you don't know what data you need. So the data is sort of the last piece. The specific data is the last piece. So the tool to get that data is the last piece of the program. That is music to my ears. I was just talking to an instrumentation company who have just signed a very large contract with a social media data collection service. And Uh they they did not ask what the outputs of that collection would be. And spent a fortune on this contract and months of setting it up. They have only just realized they cannot get the data that they need out of it. It happens all the time. Oh, I know. And it's the thing that we keep hearing people coming to us. This is the system. This is the data we've got. What can we do with it? Too late. You've wasted so much. Well, I mean, there, yeah, it, yeah, you've wasted so much time, effort, and energy. Or you, or you have to say to them, okay, now we need to change your objectives. Mm-hmm. Right? You have to change your objectives and your metrics to meet this data. Are you okay with doing that? Mm-hmm. And nine times out of ten, they'll say no. And then you say, okay, well, so let's go find the data. And it's linking the outcomes with the business yes. goal. And that's where it exactly. really That's where it gets interesting. Because mm-hmm. all people really, you know, when, you, when it comes down to it, right, when it really comes down to it, when people are sitting in boardroom, all they really care about is market share, stock price, and sales. Mm-hmm. And so somehow comms has to tie into one of those three things. And whether it's building the reputation, defending the reputation, boosting the stock price, helping generate leads, whatever it happens to be, you got to fit into one of those three things. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you've got to be yes. talking the language. Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. So I'm now going to sort of move the conversation on a little bit to talk a little bit yeah. more about you because of your experience and also the message that you perpetuate about the data and learning from it. I want to talk a little bit about some of your biggest career marketing PR failures and how you defined that failure and then how you learned from it. Well, to a certain extent, it's having too many ideas and doing ex- and not following my own advice. So back in the day, we would do a lot of press releases, right? We'd always have, we'd be doing a lot of internal research because we were sitting on all this data. Mm-hmm. We could generate a press release about data. And I, I mean... Back in the 1996 campaign, there was so much discussion about Hillary Clinton's hair, and we decided to do immediate content analysis about about Hillary Clinton's hair. And we also did one about the image of New Hampshire, which got us a lot of publicity and a lot of stuff out of it. But the Hillary Clinton hair thing got us nowhere. Now, you see, today, you could do that in an instant on Google News and issue a press release. And this is what everybody does. But the point was, is the fact that everybody scrambled, right? That took a lot of resources internally. That's one example, but there were others. And we spent a lot of time 
on stuff like that that generated nothing. No leads, no nothing, right? Didn't hit the right target audience, nothing. In contrast, one of the salespeople said, you know, the way to get to these people is their egos, right? Mm -hmm. And so we, and this is both a success and a failure because it was very funny. But anyway, so what we did was we looked up the names of CEOs of companies that we wanted to target. Mm -hmm. And we tracked their quotes for, I don't know, six months or something. And we tracked the quotes of their competitors. And so we actually generated charts that said, this is how your CEO is doing compared to the competition. And then we realized at some point, I mean, we sent that out in a direct letter to these people. And at some point we realized, it doesn't, let's just tell them it's a sample chart. We don't actually have to do all this work Mm -hmm. because it was really taking a tremendous amount of time. And people didn't understand. They didn't, the word sample wasn't clear to them and people freaked out and they were like, oh my God, my CEO didn't do that. And oh my God, and blah, blah, blah. And we were getting calls left, right, and center. On the other hand, that one letter generated more sales than anything I did in the 15 years of Delahaye history. My advice, the reason I have one reason for measurement is stop doing the stupid stuff, right? We were spending an inordinate amount of time doing stupid stuff, offering something that nobody else does it doesn't mean that you're offering something that everybody wants. Mm-hmm. The end result and the end advice is do the surveys of your customers and your prospective customers to find out what it is that they really need before you spend a lot of time, effort, and energy on a marketing program for something that maybe nobody cares about. Oh, I love it. I love it. This has been absolutely awesome, Katie. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Is there any? Oh, you're so welcome. It's so much fun. <laughs> it has. Is, is there any final thoughts you want to leave with? Yeah, I mean, particularly in life sciences, but in the whole B2B world, is beware of large numbers. It goes back to the impression thing, right? I mean, you've got people who are reporting out, oh, I got this many clips that generated 10 billion impressions. Well, if you're selling something that takes a year to make, you don't want 10 billion customers tomorrow. And keep focused on that business goal because sometimes all you need is the 10 or 100 customers that matter. And so if you do that, if you keep focused, and that probably means on the 10 or 15 reporters, not 500 reporters that you might be tracking. And all of the wasted time, effort, and energy that people spend trying to get gazillions and gazillions of anything In life sciences, you don't need gazillions and gazillions. You need all the people with money in their pockets that have a need for your product. And that's all you need, right? So stop. (laughs) (laughs) What a perfect way to end this podcast. Absolutely. And everybody heed Katie's advice. It is absolutely right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And congratulations once again on the award win. Thank you so much.